0: In 2 Kings chapter 9, I wish I, I didn't have enough time to kind of get a few visual illustrations, but we're going to have to visualize a couple of men. Uh, one of the main guys, his name is Jehu. Jehu is now anointed king, excuse me, in Israel. And he's replacing um, a, a, a dynasty, really, of, of Ahab. Ahab was a wicked king, and one of his sons, Joram, was king. And now this man, Jehu, is the king. And you're going to see this guy is on a serious mission. Before we read the text, I was thinking today about this. I was thinking about my little charity. And she is, it's just, we don't. my wife and I and our boys even, it's like, we're always finding out something new. You know, we've had nine kids, the first eight, they were always still unique. But she's like, What? You know she's got these just unique things about her, and so she has she has a mission. She thinks she thinks it is her mission in life to shut every last door she sees. I don't know about here, but in our house, every door that's open, it is her mission in life to go shut it. I mean, she will be uh, on. She will be sitting here in her room, and she'll be like playing something. She actually kind of likes to. Turn pages to books, not really read them, just turn them. She'll sit there for like 15 minutes doing this sometimes on a page of book. even if it's Deb's Bible, not even ripping the pages. And, but when she does it, she goes in her room. She might grab something like that and just start doing this. By the way, she's not always that well behaved, so don't think it's easy. But this is the interesting time she's doing it. But before she does start reading, she'll shut her door. Oh, and she'll shut all the doors in the hallway, then come in her room and shut her door, even the bathroom on there, and come in and sit down. And I can hear sometimes I'll be in my room and I'll hear boom, 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 boom. And then and she goes and sits down in, in her little chair. She's shutting all the doors. And so if I go and I come out of my room, of course, opening my door, and I go up to the hall and I open her door and I look in and I see her. I'm like, hey charity, and I'll just leave the door open and I'll walk away. Next thing I know, it's boom. She will get up. If I come in the room and she's reading and she sees me open the door, she'll be like. (laughs) And she'll just shut that door again. And she just thinks it's her mission in life to shut every door. It's funny, too. She thinks she's starting to get on this thing, this uh, light switch issue now. And so the other day, Jimmy, there's Jimmy. He's not in here right now. She gets this thing where we're in the kitchen because there's like a kind of a kitchen light and then there's another light that's by our, um, where we sit. But the kitchen light lights up where we're eating. And Jimmy went over to the wall. I don't know what it was. I can't remember. If it, it doesn't matter if it's on or off. She has to have her way on that switch. And so I think I had it off. And, um, uh, oh, I know what it was. She had one over and she turned it off. It's got to be off. And then she goes back down and sits in the, um, next to me at the kitchen table and Jimmy comes and walks over and he flips it on and she goes ma, she comes over and was over and flips it back off and goes back over and sits right next to me it's like no I am Lord of this switch and Jimmy's just like what are you doing I need you know we want it on and so um, so it was off cuz that's her policy at this moment Jimmy flips it on she runs over she turns it off again so then Jimmy does this. So mind you, it's off. That's her policy. Her policy currently says it needs to be off. Jimmy walks back over. He turns it on and turns it off and walks away. She was still ticked off by that. No, no, no. If anybody is going, it's like, and then she comes over to it. She goes over. She turns it on and turns it back off. It's almost like if anybody's going to have way with this, turning it on, turning it off, it's going to be under my terms. It's just she didn't say that, but you could just see this little sassiness to her and you're going, Oh boy, this is interesting. But she really is obsessed with shutting doors in our house. I don't I think she's obsessed with opening doors here because she wants to get out all the time. But it's really interesting. Now I want to tell you, it's a silly example, but I'm telling you, when you get into this story, this guy is obsessed, Jehu, with killing. And he's really, it's part of God's mission for him. He is going to, he's going to kill. We're going to show you kind of three points of fulfillment. Um, One of Ahab's, one of Ahab's sons, and then the other of Ahab's sons, the group, and then Jezebel. And he is focused, man. He is going to get them, each of them. He does more killing later. But he's going to be killing them off. Now, uh, before we read, I I want to just say something. Um, there was a prophecy. I'll just tell you again, we'll get into reading the text. I won't, I won't you don't run to it. But first, watch this. First Kings twenty one nineteen. 19. Ahab and Jezebel did something very wicked. They framed an innocent man, made him look guilty of blasphemy, and they had him executed so that they could seize, and his children, so that they could seize the inheritance and take Naboth's vineyard, clear the vineyard and have a little, you know, salad garden, garden, a, a, a garden for their, to feed their salad bar in the palace, herb garden. And when they did that, the prophet Elijah showed up and basically said, oh, okay, you've killed and taken possession. And there was three primary things that came out of a prophecy that Elijah, who's now dead, who's not dead, he went ascended, he's gone. Elijah said, Ahab, okay. There's three things. He said, Ahab, your blood is going to be spilled in the field that you took, the very field that you took. Number one, Ahab, your posterity, all your your descendants, your sons that are kind of in the royal family. By the way, Ahab had a harem because he had like a lot of kids, 70 sons. I don't think they all came by Jezebel. She doesn't seem like type. (laughs) So he had a harem, Ahab did. He had a bunch of sons. So the second thing is Elijah said, Ahab... All your males are going to get cut off. They're done. There's going to be no more descendants. And then thirdly, Ahab, um, you, Jezebel, your wicked wife, dogs are going to eat her. Not, and they're going, he, they named it specifically. They're going to eat her by a wall in Jezreel, which is another city where they lived. So Ahab's blood's going to be licked in this specific place, the vineyard of Naboth. Ahab's sons are going to be killed off. And Jezebel is going to be eaten basically by dogs and her blood's going to be spilled by this wall. The problem is, none of it's happened yet. Ahab dies. And he dies in a chariot. And dogs lick blood in the chariot. And he never goes to Naboth's vineyard. He goes to Samaria and they bury him. So that didn't happen yet with Ahab. Ahab... Ahab's sons are still alive. Not only are they alive, they're being coddled by, it's called the great men of the city. He had like seven sons, and it's not just that he had 70 sons and that, oh, poor kids, there's so many kids, they just can't. No, these kids were coddled, silver spoons in their mouth, and it said the great men of the city and princes were actually responsible for influencing them and helping raise them. Life is still going on. And Jezebel's the kind of the wicked grandma in yeah. retirement, kind of keeping her face painted every day up in her little cozy uh, two-story house in Jezreel. She's living fine. She's living fine. Now, I wonder sometimes, because Elijah one time, when Elijah told Ahab and Jezebel this, he told Ahab dogs are going to lick his blood and in the field of Naboth, and he told uh, he said that Jezebel also is going to be eaten by dogs and lick her blood by that wall. He went on and died. I wonder if Jezebel... As, as, as R.G. Lee said in, in another way in his message, I wonder if Jezebel, every time she heard a dog bark like that, you know. Is that the once? But she stayed up in the house, apparently, second story, and it was living on. Everything was going on. But what you're going to see here is God's going to make sure that he's going to fulfill his word. And there's a guy that wants to be right on mission with that. It's Jehu. So let's read some of this. I'm going to have to skip through some of it and summarize it, but let's begin Uh, Chapter 9, in chapter 9, let's look at verse 16. Jehu is now king, and only a few people know it. His former king doesn't know that he's not king anymore. So Jehu rides, look at verse 16. Some of this you're going to pick up because we're reading it, so please help read with us. Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, and Joram lay there. That's the king he's about to kill, the wicked son of Ahab. Joram lay there, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, was come down for to see him. Ahaziah was actually his nephew, who was also the king of Judah. And there stood a watchman. Now watch this. Watch what happens here. There stood a watchman on the tower of Jezreel, and he spied the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, take a horseman and send to meet them and say, Is it peace? Now, kids, it's like this. Have you ever looked out the window? Is mom and dad coming? Is the car coming? Is the car coming? Are they coming yet? You're coming? You know, sometimes people like, uh, you know, they go out in the parking lot. Are so-and-so here yet? And you're looking and you're looking. So here, this is more of a long plane. It's a lot of planes in this area. And so they had a watchman on a wall wherever the king was, and he could see way out. Oh, somebody's coming. You can see way out and see kind of a group of people, dust in the air, chariots, kind of going really fast there. And he tells the king, hey, somebody's coming. And so the king says, "Send a company, a dispatch, go out there and see who it is. You got to meet them before they get here. We don't want a cold turkey visit." And so he does. Watch what happens. You got to keep your keep, stay alert tonight, okay? Go find him and say, "Is this peaceful?" Verse eighteen. So there went one on horseback to meet him, and here's Jehu da-dun, 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 with all these a couple other guys, and he goes, "Hey, king." It, it, thus saith the king, "Is it peace?" And Jehu's answer is, "What hast thou to do with peace?" Turn thee behind me. What he's saying is Jehu's going, and this guy from the king comes, hey, is this peaceful? He goes, What do you have to do with peace? Why don't you? I think the way I interpret is just line up behind me. We're starting a little train here. We're getting some momentum, and it's not peace. Meanwhile, the guys on the wall are like, What happened to that guy? Why did he go? So it says, verse 19 they sent out a second on horseback, which came to them and said, Thus saith the king, is it peace? And Jehu, same thing. What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. You, get, get in line. There's no peace here. We're doing something else. And so, meanwhile, Joram uh, is thinking, I sent these, these guys, haven't come back. What is going on here? And they are going, they are going. So, look what somebody astutely observed, verse 20. The watchman who's still watching, he came even to them and cometh not again. Oh, and, and the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. Now, that's some of you, okay? You could have put your name in there, in your driving. Some of you drive furiously, right? No? You shouldn't. He said, this is, this is the first road rage. You see that? What happened was those two guys went. They, one stayed. Another went. He stayed. So the watchman's like, wait, that's Jehu. I know how that guy drives. I know how he drives. He's like, this isn't fast enough. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) I mean, he's beating these horses. He's just furious. The word furious, it means like what you saw me do, getting all nervous there. You saw him get nervous. He's crazy. He's a crazy driver. It's kind of interesting. He already had a reputation for this. Like, we already know how he drives. We're like, stand back, get your kids out of the street. Jehu's coming through, you know. Everything is no, no, there's no speed limit. Nobody, everybody's too slow for him. He's just going. And so like, that's Jehu. He is furiously driving and we know how he normally drives. And so now Joram, who actually is, a, again, the king, he's actually healing of some injuries. So he's not in the best health. And his nephew, Ahaziah, who's the king of Judah, who shouldn't even be there. They said, oh, let's get ready, guys. Verse 21, Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out each in his chariot. And they went out against Jehu. And it just so happens they met him in the portion of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So this is interesting. You know, the speed of Jehu was such that he's going quick. There's already two men dispatched. They didn't come back. And so Joram's like, we got to go see what's happening here. Two kings go out, and they just happen to meet Naboth's, what was, Naboth's vineyards, uh, it should really, and technically is it's stolen. They And that plot of land, and they meet Jehu. Two kings meet Jehu. And now what happens? It says there, um, <laughs> Verse 22, it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu, he said, is it peace? Now watch Jehu. This guy, he's undiluted. Undiluted. Full strength. He said, what ha- what peace so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. By the way, since it just brought up witchcraft, it, God hates it. Let's stay away from witchcraft. Obviously, whoredoms, that's prostitution of all sorts, male to male, female to female, male to female, all that. That's all whoredom. And Jehu's like, God, there's no peace. Your, your mother is propagating whoredom spiritually, morally, and uh, witchcraft. There's no, we can't have peace that way. Right. God doesn't make peace with sin. Light and darkness don't fellowship. That's what he's saying. And neither should we, by the way. I don't, we don't fellowship with darkness. God hasn't changed. We still have the God of Israel here. But so Jehu's like, there's no, 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 not with how things are. And so Joram knew. He's like, okay, the payday someday. It's coming right here. Verse 23. Joram turned his hands and fled. Good try. And said to Ahaziah, there is treachery, O Ahaziah. So here's what's happening. There's, Je- there's Joram. There's Ahaziah. They're in their chariots like, hey, is it peace? And Joram's like, no way. Not as long as we got all this witchcraft and immorality and whoredoms of your mother and it's still propagating you haven't got taken care of her and so Joram says there's treachery means we are it's talking about a you're, you can't somebody that you are trusting in you can't trust in anymore we got to take off good try let's go and this is this is you're not getting away and that's what happens Look what happens he tries to run off jehu verse 24. Drew a bow with his full strength and smote Jehoram. That's another way of saying Joram. He goes by. It's kind of a shortened and longer name. He smote Joram between his arms, and the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down in his chariot. Now, now, man, you get hit. Isn't that? I mean, if you get hit in the heart, you're instantly dropping, right, Steve? I mean, there's some things you can instantly drop, and that's when of am boom. He's gone. He faints right away, and um. Watch what happens. He sunk down in his chariot. Verse 25, then said Jehu to bid, bid car. He's his captain. This is one of his associates that's helping him. Take up and cast him into the portion of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember how that when I and thou rode together after Ahab, his father, the Lord laid this burden on him. You know what he's doing? He says, remember when we were there that day and when Ahab was there and he had so happy he got his brand new land, and here comes that Elijah, and Elijah said all this stuff about Ahab's blood being spilled in this field. Remember, Bikar, when that happened? And now Ahab, the, in, the idea is now Ahab's actually buried somewhere else. He never got here, but that's his son. Yeah. His son has his blood. Yeah. Yeah. So remember that? Let's, his blood, that son, Joram, the son of Ahab, dump him there. That's where his blood's going to be spilled. That's what he says. He's fulfilling God's word. And the Lord laid this burden upon him. Verse 26, surely I've seen, this is the Lord quoting. uh, He's quoting the Lord. Surely I've seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, saith the Lord, and I will requite thee in this plat, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of the Lord. Ahab himself was buried somewhere. God actually put off his, his death. In his blood being spilled, his first hand, because he humbled himself, that's a whole other story. but he still fulfilled his word in his blood, that is, through his son being fulfilled, because he was going to fulfill his word. And there it is. There's Joram. This is a, by the way, this is a, oh man, how can they do this? This is a wicked dynasty of people. These people, they, they're not interested in, in the, the true Lord. All right, so there, there he was. We're not going to read 27, 28, 29. Talk about Ahaziah, the other king of Judah, being injured. And, he, and um, he was carried into his chariot and buried in his sepulcher as well. But now, so here's what we have so far. Elijah told Ahab, your, your blood's going to be spilled in this vineyard. And it wasn't while Ahab was living, but it was in his son. And that was fulfilled. Now we got one more thing to fulfill. Jehu's, remember, he's on a mission. Charity wants to shut all these doors. He's not done slamming um, Ahab's sons down and descendants. He's, he's looking for one. Verse 30. Look what it says here. Now it's Jezebel. Hey, Jehu was come to Jezreel. When Jehu was come to Jezreel, what happened? Jezebel heard it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. And as Jehu, and imagine this. As Jehu entered into the gate, she said, "Had Zimri peace who slew his master?" Do would you hate to hear the cackle of her voice? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shush! He's coming. He knows where she is. He knows she's in Jezreel, and he's come trotting in, cluck 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 cluck, and she she already knew he was coming, and he looks and and she squawks. She's quoting another person who killed uh, their king. I think that one was unjustified. This one's justified. Did he have peace? Are you doing the right thing? You think you're doing the right thing? Had Jehu pe- had Zimri peace who slew his master? Verse 32, he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And then looked out. To him, two or three eunuchs. Can you imagine this? This would be a great movie. All they have to do is not change; just do right with the text. There, I mean, he's like, "Hey, up there, who's on my side?" And these guys that are eunuchs that serve of "Okay, all right." And now look what he says to the eunuchs: "Throw her down," verse thirty-three. "Throw her down." Now before we get oh. This woman killed prophets. She hated God's people. She hated God's prophets. She was, had an evil plot. She hatched and worked alongside with her husband, really manipulating it, to have this innocent man Naboth killed, having his head beaten and his eyes bulging out, blood coming out of his ears as he stoned that day in public and all of his sons. Innocent man. That's this woman whose hands crafted that and made a declaration and thought that up and moved and manipulated all this. It's this woman. Now, Jehu's saying, throw her down. Throw her down. Verse 33. So they threw her down and plop. Some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. And he trod her underfoot. This guy, he's like... He's, I can see Jay, he was like, ah, oh, this is nothing. I mean, he's on, I'm under, I'm assuming it's the horse. He's just plop, 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 plop. This guy had seen lots of warfare. It was nothing to him. He'd seen lots of killing Syrians and other people and stuff. He's, he, he's a battle-hardened guy. He's just like plop, 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 plop. And evermore, it was, this, was, this was definitely ordained by God to do this. And now he's not done. This is very interesting. He, she's thrown down the wicked woman. She's trampled, her blood spattered on the wall. And then, and look what he does. I gotta take a lunch break here. Verse 34 when he was come in, he did eat and drink. <laughs> so he's just like plop, 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 plop. Man, it's a hard day's work. He he'd, uh, he'd dealt with, uh, he'd run off, he got anointed, probably, I think it's the same day, he got anointed. He ran from uh, Ramoth Gilead. And took care of uh, Ahab, the, the Jer- J- J- Joram, and and did some furious driving. Probably wore him out. He had a good shot at a couple of these guys. He has to go find Jezebel. Man, he's worn out. Burn some cal. You know, he needs some replenish some calories. Plop, 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 plop. All right. So he goes in. Let's have some lunch here. And he's eating and drinking and everything. And then finally, he's like, "Hey, go, go see her. Go bury her." She's a king's daughter, you know. we got to bury king's daughter. She's royalty. She's she's the daughter of a pagan king, by the way. Yeah, I think we're not very hurt, you know, picking his teeth perhaps after eating his lunch. So it said, verse 34, When he was come in, he did eat and drink. Go see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. Go check her out. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her then the palm, then, then the skull and the feet and the palms of her hand. That's an unusual remains. And well, let's just keep reading. Verse 36, wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, this is the word of the Lord. So let's stop right there. So these guys, he was, he was in the room. He's still finishing, probably finishing up his lunch. He tells some guys, go bury her. They go out and they're like, where's she at? Oh wait! I think those are her hands. Those are her feet. Uh, that's her. We're pretty sure that's her skull. That's an unusual thing. Um, and apparently, dogs had done their job, and they didn't eat the head. They didn't eat the two hands. They didn't eat the two feet. It is showing that this is a this is a divine moment. God's in this. God's fulfilling this. God's fulfilling his word, and it's fulfilling it in a unique way. And it's also symbolic that even in her death, the head who represents the evil plot that she thought up is avoided. The hands who perhaps wrote things, false things, even those hands are cursed even at her death, and the feet that ran around and did wicked things are avoided by dogs who eat just about everything. Stuff that we wouldn't want to mention. And this cursed woman. And they came back and they said, you, you, do I? her head, two feet, the hands. And I know those dogs would eat them. They normally would eat that kind of stuff. And he said, this is the word of the Lord. That's what he says. Look what it says. All right. He says, uh, they came and they said, uh, they came again and told him in verse 36. And he said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant, Elijah, the Tishbite saying in the portion of, of Jezreel, that's where they're at, shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. And, verse 37, the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung, the re- that's talking about the remains, upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, this is Jezebel. What was left of her was like, that's like, you know, dung poop. We don't even want to touch that, the rest of it. He said, this is the word of the Lord. God fulfilled His word. Jehu, wanted to, Jehu was called to be king. He was called to be king under the under the, under the conditions of we need to do. We need to get uh, execute this wicked son of Ahab. We need to take care of his other wicked sons, and we need to get rid of wicked Jezebel. And you're going to lead my people. And he went right at it. He embraced that mission. He was on a mission. He was very focused on it. Chapter 10, let's quickly look at chapter 10, If you just the third incident. Now he's got 70 sons. Let's look at this. It says, chapter 10, verse 1, Ahab had 70 sons, which means, again, he probably had a harem of wives, in Samaria. And Jehu wrote letters and sent to Samaria unto the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders and to them that brought up Ahab's children, saying, as soon as this letter cometh to you, seeing your master's sons are with you. And there are with you chariots, horses, and fenced city, also armor. Look out even, the best and meatest of your master's son, and set him on your father's throne, and fight for your master's house. I don't know if you got that, but here's what he's saying. He knows this area where all the sons are, and he writes to the big shots in the city. He says, "Um, just want to let you know, go ahead and pick out one of the kings, make him a king, and get your best men ready. Uh, it was like for a lot and at, they knew it was like go ahead and you better pull out your best guys because I'm going to take you down I want a real fight that's what he's saying let's have a fight you better protect them get the king get some strong guys out you ready for this? that's what he's saying and they, how did they respond? let's do this no no they didn't do that look at verse 4 they were exceeding afraid oh no and they said, Behold, two kings stood not before him. How then shall we stand? We can't do this. We're going to have to surrender him. And he that was over the house, verse 5, and he that was over the city, the elders also, and the bringers up of the children, said to Jehu, Oh, we're thy servants. We will do all that thou shalt bid us. We will not make any king do thou that which is good in thine eyes. Did you see that? So the guys that were kind of over all these 70 sons, like, you know what? That, fine, whatever you want. That's good. What do you want to what do? You do? You want to get these guys? That's what they're saying. And they wrote, and look what it says in verse 6. He wrote in a second letter then, if you be mine, verse 6, and if you will hearken unto my voice, take ye the heads of the men of your master's son and come to me in Jezreel by tomorrow this time. Now the king's sons, being 70 persons, were with the great men of the city, which brought them up. Again, these kids were not raised by just anybody. Verse 7, it came to pass when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slew the 70 persons and put their heads in baskets and sent them and sent him to Jezreel. So Jehu sends a second letter to the to the to the men in power in that city, and he says, All right, if you're on my side, cut off all their heads and just put them over in this area with them in a basket. And they're like, All right, we're doing it. Can you imagine that? Wow. And there came a messenger, verse eight, and told them, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons, and they said, Lay ye them up in two heaps at the entering into the gate of the morning until the morning, verse nine. And it came to pass in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, you be righteous. In other words, what you've done is right. Behold, I conspired against my master and slew him. But who slew all these? He's saying you participated in this and it wasn't a bad thing. Now, verse 10 is kind of a punchline, okay? Verse 10. Know now, know this right now, that there shall fall unto the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab. The Lord hath done that which he spake by his servant Elijah. So Jehu slew all that remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel and all his great men and his kinfolks and his priests until he left nothing remaining. Look at verse 10 again. Know therefore that there shall fall unto the earth nothing of the word of the Lord which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab for the Lord had done that which he spake. So what he's saying to everybody there, he's saying, I just want you to know that God fulfilled everything He said He was going to do. And so people might be cruising by, all happy, like, ah, God doesn't really mean business. He's like, nope, He means business. It's going to get fulfilled. It's going to get fulfilled. That's something we ought to think about. It's like sometimes we see things going on in life, and we're like, man, what's not right? Payday someday, <laughs> Right? Payday someday. God's word. God is not going to be mocked. Whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. And the, the word, you know, he's got, you know, everybody's going to have a payday someday, even if it's in but the next life. But what I want to narrow down to and just I'll make it quick. We still are okay on time. Is this. Uh, there's the aspect of God will fulfill his word. And he does even if it takes a while we need to remember that but there's also the aspect of Jehu who was called on a mission and he just ran fully after it he wanted to do exactly what god called him to do he he fulfills god's word don't you want to be somebody it's kind of like i think rusty kind of said it in so many words one time it's like god's got a plan and he's going to do it it's like do we want to be in part of it or not i mean if you're not on his plan he's going to still do what he wants. It's like, do I want to be part of God's plan and fulfill his word in my life and for this world or not? I do. I want to fulfill God's word. I want to fulfill God. I want to, uh, if, my, if my mission is to shut all the doors then, that God tells me to, then I want to do that. So let's think about three applications here. Three applications. That is this. Um... Jay who fulfilled God's word, we need to fulfill God's word in. We need to fulfill our mission in the gift that we have. You know, every one of you see, see none of, we're sitting here listening tonight. <laughs> we're American Christians, 2024, listening to an Old Testament message. So don't go trying to find a chariot somewhere or get in a car and be like, I'm going to look for the wicked people around here and start killing." No, that's not the point there. This is kind of a covenant scenario. Different But there's a principle of when God calls you to do something, go after it. Did you know that each one of us in the New Testament age, when you got saved, you've been given a gift, an ability. And so get in your chariot and go after it. Some of you have ability to teach. Some of you have ability to sing. Some of you have ability to help in the background. Some of you have ability to preach. Some of you have ability to sing or other things like that. So there's different gifts and you should embrace your gift and fulfill it. That's your mission. Find your spiritual gift and fulfill it. Don't just stay in your chariot. Fulfill your gift. It might look a little bit different than others. You know, Paul wrote to, I think it was Timothy. He says, I'm writing to stir up your gift again, Timothy. Once you stir up, you have a gift being a pastor. I want to stir you up on this. The Bible says, as every man hath received the gift, even so let him minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I like coming together as church, and I know the primary thing that happens is preaching. I get that. And we do some singing. But whether it's here or otherwise, everybody has a calling still. Everybody is a minister still. Every member is a minister. Every um, uh, saint is a servant. So we all have something. We just go after and fulfill God's word, fulfill our mission in fulfilling and applying our spiritual gift. So... We need to fulfill our mission in, in through our gifts that we have. We need to fulfill our mission. in the second thing is a gospel witness. It's all of our mission to be a gospel witness. It's all of our mission to, and it's not, and I'm not just saying um, uh, like formal times when we have visitation. It's all of our mission to be a witness of the saving grace that we know somehow, some way. There's people that you could reach that I can't reach. Brother Vasco, I remember him saying, because um, he's a surgeon. Well, he was a surgeon, and now he's uh, in a—I don't know what you'd call that, Steve. What is that uh, uh, urgent care kind of clinic that he's at? Concentra, Concentra yeah. And so he's a, he's doing his practice in another way. But I remember telling him, telling me stories of like, because he he you know he, does, he he literally feels God called him to to do what he's doing and being a physician. And for, the time being a cert, for a certain time being a surgeon. But I remember him saying things like, you know, whenever he can now and when in past, he would, he would get to talk to people about the things of the Lord. Now, it has to be kind of a natural conversation. You don't force it on people. In his practice, there's a certain ethic there. But I remember him saying that there were certain people that he got a witness to that probably nobody else really could have gotten to. Because of his position, you know, that I probably couldn't have gotten to. And so he was fulfilling that mission in both his practice and in his witness, fulfilling your mission in a gospel witness. That's what we have to do for God's glory. See, none of us are going to be a Jehu going out and like a, you know, bounty hunter. Man, I want to get somebody, but we can get somebody in the good way for the Lord and be as tenacious and you know, drive furiously in a way. I want to go after somebody. I want to reach somebody. I want to pray furiously. I mean, that's where that's at for us today. And then the last thing is we need to fulfill our mission in in this. We have a mission like Jehu and we need to go after it in simply giving God glory. We need to go out. God has given me a mission. We know for sure everybody and every single thing His purpose is to give God glory. And so I remember my wife and I, when we first started having our first, when we first had Johanna, (coughs) we started having kids, I started thinking, what do I want my kids to be? And I never thought, I hope that person's a preacher. I hope that person's a pastor. I I didn't really think that, and that would be okay if it was the case. But I remember thinking, I just desire that my kids want to do something, whatever they do, that they magnify God, that they make a big deal about God, and that's what I still want. In other words, I want my kids, no matter what their vocation is, what their job is, I want them to glorify God, not self. To amplify God. You know, to take, remember those little uh, microfish? Remember, you have to read microfish? Anybody heard of microfish? I want to know everybody who's ever heard of that. I'm not talking about small fish like minnows. Microfish is like a small little transparent picture. And you'd have to put it under this microscope thing and look at it. You're like, whoa! I can read the papers from 1960. They got them on file in Mesa Public Library. That's pretty cool, you know. And they'd have you can read microfish. So they have things that are really neat that are small. But the microfish machine is like, oh, I can see it. Just like those little projectors that the the missionaries used to use. They put those smaller ones in there and they go and they go. See, we need to be that about God. God is small in people's minds. Right. God is tight, and some of them, he's obscure. And our job is to be that projector, like, this is God. This is God in my life. This is who he is, and it's our job to, to, it's our mission to go uh, tenaciously to glorify God. I want to glorify God in my spirit. I want to glorify God in my attitude. I want to glorify God in my language. I want to glorify God in the content of my language. I want to glorify God in my lifestyle. I want to glorify God. You were made to praise the Lord. It's not just a cute song. It's actually in the Bible. And so we're not Jehu. We're not going after Jezebels. But we are going after something else. And that's what we need to do. And I I just feel like that, that aggressiveness of the Old Testament needs to be kind of transferred and translated and put into the New Testament Christian today But while we're also guided by His Holy Spirit. And may God help us to go after and fulfill our mission.